This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Hands up if during sunset you feel a little bit down in your mood. Some of you. Yeah. And then at fajr, how do you feel? Dhuhr, you're all working hard, you know, in the daytime. People don't have, you know, they're working, they're energetic, they're moving, they're coming, they're going. Asr time, you're, it's time for relaxation. Get up and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When your mood is changed at sunset, get up and pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Aisha, pray to... Every one of them has a different effect on your senses in a different way. So it reminds you in these different states and prepares you and programs you. What is the purpose of the silent and loud recitations? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really knows the wisdom behind it, but here it goes. At Fajr, you're tired. You've just woken up. Read loud in order for people to stay awake, for you to stay awake, for people to be more conscious and aware. So that you, because you know, when people wake up, you take at least, you know what, you take about 25 to half an hour until you're fully yani, aware and your mind starts racing really well. That's why they say exercise for a little bit. Do your bed, for example, quickly. Get active, get out. Dhuhr, we don't need to say it loud. It's in the middle of the day, people are working, people are moving. You say it silently, everybody to themselves. It is a time where you can reflect by yourself. Maybe you don't have time to listen to the Imam reciting out loud and taking, his time, you know, taking long. Asr is the same thing. Maghrib, everybody's relaxed. Your work is over. You've got time. And then the loud one comes again to remind you of what you left off at Fajr. And Aisha, you prolong it a little bit. People are also starting to get sleepy maybe. They're starting to wind down. The... The, 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 loud, the voice is loud, people now are conscious again and aware, but then you add another two that are silent in the Aisha. The Fajr, you only had two. We only need two loud ones because you need to get on with your day. But with the Aisha, you get a double dose. Anyway, each one of them has its effect. Allah subhanahu wa knows how the human is and the nature of the human. And so, the Quran is also a, a, a treatment of our psychology our emotions and our moods in a way that is beyond our understanding. My brothers and sisters, let's now get to the most beautiful part that I love. And that is, what are the meanings of the different actions and the different sayings that you say in your salat? What do they mean? The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, this hadith is in Sahih Muslim, مَا مِنْ إِمْرِئٍ مُسْلِمٍ تَحْضُرُهُ صَلَاةٌ مَكْتُوبَةٌ فَيُحْسِنُ وُضُوءَهَا وَخُشُوعَهَا وَرُكُوعَهَا إِلَّا كَانَتْ كَفَّارَةً لِمَا قَبْلَهَا مِنَ الذُّنُوبِ مَا لَمْ تُؤْتَ كَبِيرَةٌ Prophet said, There isn't a single Muslim person that when the time of salat comes, he or she goes and makes good wudu. There's wudu and there's good wudu. Which one do you make? The good one or the normal one? There's a good wudu and there's a normal wudu. Rasulullah says, makes good wudu, meaning you make your wudu properly. You don't skip corners, you don't rush and miss half the arm, and so on. You make good wudu, unless you already had wudu from before. And you pray a good prayer, you make a good salat, a salat. Where you are focused. وَرُكُوعَهَا And all of its bowing and prostrating. You do it well. 
You give the salat its rights. You don't rush it. You don't cut corners. You don't bow quickly and get up. And before you're even up, you're back down. That's not a salat. You give each movement its right. And you focus with it. You know, brothers and sisters, I just want to make a little note about that. Some people, it's strange. We see sometimes we rush our salat. Why? Because we think we're running out of time for something. But you know what? If you think about it, if you think about it, the difference between a rushed salat that is probably invalid and a good salat, minimum good salat, wallahi, if you count all the extra movements, you only add, all you got to do is add, you know what? Add 10 seconds. Yaqi, add 5 seconds to each movement you make. Subhana Rabbil Azim, Subhana Rabbil Azim, Subhana Rabbil Azim. That's a good 5 seconds, 6 seconds. Add 5 seconds to what you normally do. The difference of the whole salat by the end, wallahi, is no more than a minute. Basically, you're only, it's really a one minute difference or less of making a good salat minimum or a rushed salat that's probably invalid. Have you thought about it? The difference is one minute of your entire life. Subhanallah. So add five seconds to each movement. You've got a salat that is extra good. And inshallah, at least it's valid. You've done the minimum. So Rasul says, does a good salat, does it's good wudu, does it's good movement? Rasul said, accept that. It is an expiator. Allah forgives your minor sins that you have done since the last salat. You pray dhuhr, then you pray asr. All your minor sins between dhuhr and asr are wiped away. They're washed off. Then from asr to maghrib, all the sins you've done, the minor sins between them are washed off and so on. Can you imagine that? And anyone who makes salat five times a day, Rasul described it this way. He says, if somebody had a river in front of their house. Now, it doesn't make sense to us in the first world country where we're spoiled. We have pipes going through our houses. We've got taps, the hot water, the cold water. And subhanAllah, we've got first world problems, mashallah. That, you know, if a little bit of it is cut off, we don't know how to live anymore. But in, in, in lots of the other worlds, and imagine that, you know, right now you have a, a running water. And imagine it this way, that you're always bathing five times a day. You're, you're showering five times a day. The Prophet ﷺ said, imagine you have a river in front of your house and you kept washing yourself five times a day. What's the likelihood of this person having any dirt on them? You, it's going to be very hard to see any dirt or anything on this person. So the salat is like that. You pray your fajr, then you pray your dhuhr. Your minor sins are washed out. You pray your asr, the minor sins are washed out. You pray your maghrib, the minor sins are washed out. You pray your isha, the minor sins are washed out. Then you pray your, you go to sleep. And then you pray your fajr and your minor sins are washed out, inshaAllah. Brothers and sisters, Rasul said, so long as you do not do a major sin in between them. So there are minor sins and there are major sins. We're not going to talk about that now, but I just want to let you know there are major sins such as drinking alcohol, theft, and so on. These are major sins. They need an, a sincere repentance in another way. The salat itself doesn't get rid of it. It gets rid of the minor stuff. Minor stuff, you looked at something haram, you said something haram, you swore, you lied once, or you, or, or you got angry at someone unfairly, or something like that. Minor sins get washed away with the salat. Next, Rasul sallallahu said, Miftahu salat al-tuhur. The key to salat is your purification. So the wudu, or if you need to have a shower, if you're in a state called junub. وَتَحْرِيمُهَا takbir, 
forbidding, like entering into it and everything becoming forbidden of worldly things is when you say Allahu Akbar. And getting out of Salat is when you say Assalamu Alaikum. Everybody understands that till now? Very easy. Then comes the Adhan. What is the Adhan? Let's have a look at it. You begin with saying the Muaddin, the caller to prayer says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. What does it mean? Allah is greater, Allah is greater, or Allah is the greatest, Allah is the greatest, but it means both. Allah is greater, Allah is greater. If you didn't catch it the first time, I'll say it another two times. Allah is greater, Allah is greater. Four times they say it. Greater than what? Greater than anything and everything that you are currently doing, thinking about, or about to do. And anything in this world. Leave it and go. Because Allah is greater than it all. If you didn't get it the first time, Allah says to the Muaddin, repeat it another three times. That's four times in case you missed it. Then you say, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. Everyone remember, you bear witness that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah. So go worship Him now. Because you made that statement, now fulfill your oath. In case you didn't hear it the first time, say it the second time. Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah. Not only are you worshipping Allah, you also bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. He told you pray to Allah and to follow me in my salat. He taught you how to live your life. If you think he's your teacher and you believed in him, go and do your salat because he told you at his last breath before he died, as salatu salah. Never leave your salat out. So if you believe in the Prophet then you bear witness, go and respond to your Prophet's command as well. In case you didn't hear it the first time, a second time. Then the Mu'addin says, Hayya ala salah. Hayya means an invite. It's a gentle, honorable invite. You only say Hayya to somebody who you respect and love to come around. It's like an invitation to a very important event of your families. And you only want the people who you honor, respect and trust to come there. Because they'll bring you joy. It's as if Allah is saying to you, it brings me pleasure and joy that you come to pray to me and you leave everything out so Allah is pleased with you come I invite you Allah is calling you to what to salat to worship to pray to bow to be with you and Allah to speak to Allah Allah is calling you come talk to me come if you didn't hear it the first time Allah will say come talk to me come now is the time then Allah said then the mother says Hayya ala al-falah. not only come talk to Allah Guess what? This calling that I'm inviting you to Allah is saying it is your success. This is where your success will come out from. Everything in your life and the hereafter, the success starts from there. Your salat will help you in everything else. In case you didn't hear it the first time, a second time, come to the success where your problems inshallah will be solved. And then Allah says, the Mu'addin, Allah is greater, Allah is greater. Just in case you forgot, you went and got busy. Allah is still greater, by the way. So, just reminding you, La ilaha illallah. One more time. You do know that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah. That's your last chance. Come. You come to make salat. You make your wudu. Then, just in case, because you know what? Let me tell you something. Why does Allah give us lots of these routines? Humans forget. We forget in a span of two minutes. We forget. I'm a teacher. And right now, even with social media and all that stuff, our children, unfortunately, maybe it's just my observation. I'm not saying this is a study. My observation is that 
the attention span has gone even lower. Maybe seven seconds, nine seconds. You've got to change the activity. Come back. So our attention span, our, we forget. So Allah then tells us, make the iqama. Just in case. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. But shorter now. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Just a little reminder. You know, a little appetizer. Get ready. At that point, my dear brothers and sisters, when the iqama is called, a lot of people make this mistake. After the iqama is called, they engage in talking. Just a little bit, last things to say. Allah is not telling you. He's saying, your last things to say was before it. Now, end. Gone. Iqama means establishment. The prayer is established, which means you have entered into the readiness of salat. No more talking. No more whispering. No more engaging in anything. Just in case you remembered your phone is, on, is not on silent, put it on silent. Just in case. Why? Because now you have established your salat. In case you're about to eat something, put it back in your pocket. If you're chewing gum or something. In case now salat is established. That's it. You're in your line. The iqama is called. Don't do anything else. Then you say, what do you do? You stand. Anyone know why you stand? Why do you begin with standing in salat? Why not begin with sitting? Why not begin with lying down? Why do you stand? Standing, standing is a mental preparedness. You're prepared of readiness. You are ready. You are ready to do what? Standing means, oh my Lord, you are saying. My body standing and my choice to stand right now as you have ordered me, my Lord, and facing your qibla, the Kaaba, I am facing towards you, my Lord. My standing means I am ready for you to command me. I am at your service, my Lord. I am ready to do whatever you want me to do. I am ready to obey your commands. I am in an act of readiness. I am in an act of doing. I am in an act of receiving from your commands. And I am not going to be lazy. I am not going to disobey you. I'm going to keep going. In this world, we stand in readiness to act. Why? Because we want to pass for the hereafter, getting ready for the Day of Judgment. On a Day of Judgment, we also stand. But the standing on the Day of Judgment has a different meaning to the standing in Salat now. You are standing in the Salat today so that you can work and act and be ready to Allah so that when you stand on a Day of Judgment to be judged you will pass the judgment. That's what the Prophet ﷺ said. Whoever stands to Allah in this life will stand to Allah in the hereafter while he receives Allah's mercy and he is successful and triumphant. Then after you stand, you lift your palms up like this and you say, Allahu Akbar. Oh, we just said Allahu Akbar again. Who can tell me what it means? Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater. And that is my preferred meaning. Then Allah is the greatest. Allah is greater. Watch out. Just in case between the iqama and when you did this, that 10 second gap, your mind might have, might have wandered off. Remember, Allah is greater than what your mind is thinking about. Allah is greater than what you're thinking about, what you're about to do, what plans you have. Stop. Allah is greater than it all. Face Him. And then you do this. You do this. The ulama talked a lot about this. The opening of the palm 
and the raising and returning. They said, the best example I've seen from the scholars is that they said, like Imam al-Nawawi and Dhahabi and others, they said, this is a symbol of you to Allah telling him physically, I throw everything of the world behind my back. It's out of my hands. I throw everything worldly out of my hands behind my back and I open my palms to show you, oh Allah, I am not busy with anything else. My hands are empty only for you right now. Absolute dedication, complete emptiness of worldly matters and facing Allah, nothing else. As if you are about to die and go to Allah. That's how the Prophet ﷺ said. He used to turn to his people, to the people of praying in the masjid. And before he started as the Imam, he used to say to them, Sallu salata Make a salat as if you are farewelling. Farewelling the world. Farewelling your relatives. Farewelling your parents, your children. Farewelling your business. Farewelling the entire world and you're leaving it all. So you see, flick the world behind you. Readiness and submission, nothing busying you. I am ready, O oh Allah. Then you place your hands here while you are still standing. You are standing to continue that statement. Your body, your mind is making the statement. I am still ready, my Lord, to act, to obey. I am in readiness, Ya Rabb. I am not ready now to sit down. I am ready to obey. I'm ready to act. And then you start reciting. You recite Al-Fatiha, the opening. The first thing that we open up with is praising and thanking Allah and sending our gratitude to Him. Weren't you just working? Weren't you just eating before Salat? Weren't you just enjoying your life? Weren't you breathing? Weren't you earning? Weren't you walking? Weren't you going and coming? Aren't you free? Can't you see? Don't you hear all this blessing? The first thing we have to say to Allah my Lord, I thank you. I'm grateful to you. From Dhuhr till now, here I am. You gave me it all. What else am I grateful to? Here, listen to this. The fact that you're standing, you're calling yourself a abd. Abd means slave, servant. But here's the difference. When Allah talks about us being slaves in this world, He calls us ibad. What does He call us? Ibad. I'm just going to give you a little bit of Arabic, Arabic lesson. When he talks about the day of judgment, guess what he calls us? Huh? No. If you know some of the Quran that talk about the hereafter, when Allah calls us slaves, he calls us Abid. And then when you enter paradise, inshallah, Allah talks about the people of paradise again as Ibad. Why Ibad? Abid then Ibad. The word Ibad means a slave who is willing, a person who is willing by choice to obey and to be a slave of Allah. You choose it. So you are called ibad. Allah calls you those who have willingly made the choice to freely obey me. Abid on the day of judgment, you have no choice. You're being judged. You're like a slave. A slave means one who has no power or choice or freedom. Then you go to Jannah, guess what? The freedom comes back. You are still slaves of Allah, you are still servants of Allah, but now you are free slaves. You get it? So you are standing before Allah as a slave of Allah by choice. That's why you're standing. You are saying, oh my Lord, I am a slave of yours by choice. And here I am confirming that. 
I am not a slave. Now you might say, slave? Allah doesn't need a slave. No, no, not like that. Of course Allah doesn't even need your worship. Your worship is for you. It is for you. Allah made it for you. Just like the food that nourishes your body, the salat is for your soul. Allah gave that to you. It's actually a blessing. However, the fact that Allah gave you the free choice to worship Him or not is a blessing and an honor for you. Yes, we will be judged for our choices. Does anyone know what the word choice means? When you say, I have a choice, what are you actually saying? Anyone? Not, uh, not a direct, there's a, there's a further meaning, there's a, a foresight meaning to it. Hmm? To pick. Yeah, yeah, you pick, you choose. Okay, I'll tell you, I'll just cut the corner. Control. So, when a person has a choice, it's as if you're saying, I accept the consequences of what I choose. You understand? When you say I have a choice, it means you're saying I accept the outcome. I accept the consequence of my choice. So your choice doesn't go without judgment. Whatever you do in life, if you have a choice, it means you've accepted the outcome. You've accepted the consequence. Do you understand? Or the reward. And so Allah gives you the reward or the consequence because you chose. Brothers and sisters, then what happens You've lifted your palms, there's no distraction. You say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. By the way, I know, I'm trying not to go into too much detail because I don't want to make it too long for you. But you start actually by saying, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajim. I seek refuge in God from Satan, the outcast. Satan can be human and can be jinn. Anyone who is evil that takes you off the right path is called a Satan. It's not just that guy with the horns and tail. So, the Rajim. I don't want to be part of him. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, God, the only God. Ar-Rahman. The one whose mercy encompasses all. Encompasses the good and the bad people. Ar-Rahim. The one whose mercy is ever so flowing and he gives it to whoever he wills. Maliki yawmiddin. He is the master and owner of the day of judgment. So you're saying, my Lord, my choices I've made, I know you're going to judge me. Get ready to what you're about to say. Oh my Lord, please, when you judge me, I want you to let you know. And right now I'm confirming, it is only you that I worship. It means I rely on you to guide me and I will only follow your guidance. Do you understand what that means? Some people pray in Salat. And they say, oh Allah, I only follow your guidance. I worship you. And then when they go, they follow other ideologies. Other movements, they support other false ideologies when Allah clearly told them not to. That's not, I worship you anymore. Worship means to obey and submit and to follow Allah's guidance because you trust in His guidance. Not only do I worship you and follow you, and it is you who I seek all the protection, and you are the one who ultimately protects me. No one else can protect me without you. I rely on you in everything in my life. Meaning whatever comes in your way, I will go to you and I'll choose you. Now you have the right to ask him something after all this. Oh Allah, guide us to the straight path. We're always lost. Isn't that right? You go to sleep, you're nice. In the day, and then in the morning, something happens to you. In the evening, someone whispers to you. You read something on the internet, you get doubts. You go and watch something, suddenly 30 years of belief now are crushed. And then someone else, you fall in love with someone, he or she takes over your mind. And so on and so forth. We humans, we, are, we fluctuate. So we need Allah's guidance always. Mustaqim means straight because we fluctuate. So every time, oh Allah, bring me back. Bring me back. I'm always going lost, my Lord. 
you know, I'm pathetic. I'm a human who keeps going lost. I need Allah, keep me straight. Every time I go, bring me back. Do something in my life that brings me back. I don't care what it is, but Allah, keep me straight. That's what you're saying. And then you say, what kind of straight? The path of those who you are pleased with and blessed. I don't want this path of any other path who they call straight. Your path. I don't want the path of those who earn your anger. I don't want to follow them. Keep them away from me. And I don't want the path of those who go astray. They lose. Meaning, they know the Quran. They know Islam, for example. Or like those who receive the Bible, they know. But over time, they no longer know the truth from the false in their religion. They got lost. So don't make me one of those. Keep me straight and keep me knowledgeable and aware. My brothers and sisters, after you do the Fatiha, what do you do? You say, Allah is greater again. Just in case in that time you wander off, just in case you're thinking about the milk you have to buy from uh, Woolworths, some, just in case you remember what your wife told you or what your husband said or what your mum and dad said or what homework you have, just in case you wander off, just in case you're thinking how nice the carpet is or whatever, Allah is greater. Oh, let me focus again. And now you go for another movement. What do you do? You go down to bowing. Ruku'a. Ruku'a. You place your palms on your knees. You try to make your back straight as possible. Your head doesn't go too high or too low. You look downwards and your feet are facing the Qibla. And you say, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. My Lord, the most tremendous, the most great, has no imperfections whatsoever. That's what Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim means. What is bowing? Bowing, my dear brothers and sisters, ruku'ah means to show weakness by agreeing to the demands or following the orders of someone or something. Let me repeat. It is to show weakness by agreeing to the demands or following the orders of someone or something. I will bow down to no one but you. It means, oh Allah, oh Allah, check this out, my mind, because what do humans always boast about? How smart they are. You argue with them, they want to argue back. You go on the internet, someone says something, they get jealous, they want to flex their muscle, brain muscles, and they want to show how intelligent smart they are. They probably do Google research, cut and paste. But at the end of the day, I want to show how smart I am. Humans are like that. So what you're doing here, you're bringing that so-called intelligence of yours, you're bringing that mind of yours, which is truly honorable. Allah gave us a mind, which is the most honorable thing. But what you're doing with it, you are humbling it down to who? To the one whose knowledge can never be encompassed. Our knowledge is nothing. Our mind is nothing. Everything we know is nothing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do we do with that? We confirm it. We put it down. So you're saying my mind and honor, my head is my honor, is submitted to you in absolute humbleness and humility. My mind and knowledge is nothing compared to you. My neck, say you put your neck as well. It's as if you're putting your neck to someone to slaughter it. This is an act of humility and submission. Obviously, Allah is not slaughtering it. He's guiding you. But you're saying, my neck 
is submitted to you, my Lord, the one who is my all and everything, that without him I am and have nothing. Think about it. The epitome of humbling your mind and intelligence. You put it down to Allah. And then you say, Subhan Rabbi Al-Azim, only the most perfect and most great deserves to be shown weakness to agreeing to their demands and orders. Oh Allah, only you are the only one that I show weakness to agreeing to your demands and your orders. That's what bowing means. That's what you're saying to Allah. For you say, Subhan. Subhan means you have no imperfection. While there are tremendous, great and magnificent creations in the universe, all the Milky Ways, the galaxies, all these big objects, everything in the world, in the universe, they all have imperfections. But Allah, my Lord, has no imperfections. And so He is greater, more magnificent and tremendous than anything in the universe and beyond. That's what you're saying when you say, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. The most tremendous and great, my Lord, is greater than anything else in the universe. For everything has imperfections, but you don't, my Lord. Not one imperfection. Therefore, you deserve for my intelligence, my mind, to bow to you and to humble it and put my neck on the line for you, Allah. I'm all yours. I am yours. Nothing will I argue with you, my Lord, for you know more than me. My head is down and I submit it completely. After lowering your neck and your mind in humility and humbleness, it is as if Allah tells you, check this out, my slave, I heard you. Now raise your head. Raise your head, my willing slave and worshiper. For whoever humbles themselves for, for me, I will raise their value and their rank and their honor. So stand up. Raise your head. It's like the king telling you, rise. It means you are honored. Rasul sallallahu said, Whoever humbles themselves for the sake of Allah, Allah will always lift you among the people. And whoever is arrogant, Allah will make you fall. So you've humbled yourself to Allah. Then Allah says, rise. So you rise back up. What does it mean? You are saying, Oh Allah, I have been honored and I am raising up to my Lord, but I am still in readiness for anything you want of me, my Lord. So you're standing again. You realize that Allah has honored you. Then when you, Allah has honored you, He tells you, Say, You say, It literally means, Allah hears and listens to whoever thanks, shows gratitude to Him and praises Him. You want Allah to listen? Start by saying, Oh Allah, my gratefulness is to you. As if Allah is talking to you and He's saying, Slave, my worshipper, show thanks and gratitude to Allah and I will hear your pain. I will hear your yearnings. I will hear your wants. I will hear your needs. I will listen to your call. I will listen to your requests and so on. So say it. And then you say, Rabbana lak alhamd. Oh, our Lord, to you is all praise and gratitude. You see, there's a conversation happening. Allah hears those who praise Him and thank Him. 
you say, oh Allah, to you is all my praise and thanks. Now you're ready. Then you go into the most humblest and hum most humbleness, and the greatest humbleness, the greatest humility anyone can ever be in. After that conversation, that intimacy with Allah, you want to get close to Allah. Allah wants to get close to you. He says to you, put your head right on the floor. Come really close to me. This is an emotional moment, my dear brothers and sisters. The most intimate position that you can have with anyone. You don't have it with your wife. You don't have it with your parents. You don't have it with your husband. You don't have it with your children. You don't even have it with yourself. But you can have it with Allah. What is it? You go down into sujood. You bring your entire body this time. Your mind, your body, your soul, your heart, your palms, your knees, your feet, your nose, your forehead, everything about you. You put it right on the floor from where Allah created you. For to Allah, you are no worthy than being more than what the earth is. You are no more than dirt compared to Allah. And you make that statement. My Lord, I am not worthy more than the dirt in front of you. Do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't honor that? When you go into sujood, the absolute humility to the point where the Prophet sallallahu said, أَقْرَبُ مَا يَكُونُ لَعَبْدُ لِرَبِّهِ وَهُوَ سَاجِدٌ The closest, most intimate position in all the world that a slave can be to his Lord is only when they are in sujood. That is the closest you can ever be. There is no other thing you do in the world that makes you more closer to Allah than the sujood, my brothers and sisters. He said, so ask Allah in your sujood, for you are the closest to Him in that time. When you're there, what do you say? You say, Subhana Rabbiyal A'la. Now in Ruku'ah, bowing, you say, Subhana Rabbiyal Azim. My Lord has no imperfection. He is the most tremendous and the greatest more than my mind. My mind has imperfections. My knowledge has imperfections and everything never has imperfections. But when you're down there, it's intimacy. You say, my, my Lord, there is no imperfection in you. You are the most high and I am the most low. There's nothing more submissive than that. And when Allah hears you saying, you are the most high, there is nothing higher than you. And I, myself, am putting my own self down to the ground. There is nothing more of a humbleness and worship, intimacy and closeness to Allah. Then what happens? Some people, they cry when they're in their sujood. They shiver, my dear brothers and sisters. Then guess what? After you say, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, make dua, ask Allah for things. You are the closest to Allah. And when you're in that state, then you get up. You're supposed to stand. You're supposed to stand. But what do you do? What do you do? What do you do after the first sajda? No one? <laughs> what do you have to do the first sajda? I'm asking you. You sit. But you're supposed to stand. And when you're down, you're supposed to stand. But instead of standing, you sit. You know what that means? It's a symbol of what the sujood really meant. Because of that absolute intimacy you just had with Allah subhanahu wa and the closest closeness you've ever had, you are so weakened with love and emotions that your body and your soul doesn't let you stand. So you can only sit. And because of that unbelievable love and emotion of sujood when you understand it, you say, Rabbi, my Lord, please forgive me. 
and you go down to another sujood. You can't get up. It's a symbol of, I'm, I'm weakened, my Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm just completely in awe. So I'm going to go for another one. And it's also like the beloved is calling you back. Astaghfirullah, to Allah belongs the best of examples. But I want to make it closer to your mind. You know, when you love someone so much and your passion and, and your love and your, 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 your absolute everything of yours, your heart is for them, right? You see them for the first time. You're about to depart. What do you do? You turn around again. You want to hug them again, right? Imagine you're departing. You're, you're, you're farewelling someone you love the most at the airport. You hug them the first time. You're about to go. You're crying. You know you're not going to see them again. What do you do? As, about, as you're about to leave, you go for a second hug. Isn't that right? Then for a third hug. Isn't that correct? Isn't that right? So with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no one more beloved. So you'd make a sujood. You feel it. Allah knows you've come close. He says to you, do it again. Do another sajda. Come close to me. And you say, oh my Lord, I'd love to. I'm going for another sajda. Let me talk to you one more time. That's the meaning of sujood, my brothers and sisters. I can't even express wallahi. You make a second sajda just, to, just in case. And then you get up for a second standing. You do the whole thing again. And then what do you do in the middle? You sit for At-Tahiyyat. At-Tahiyyat. Or you call it Tashahud. At-Tahiyyat. You sit. Why do you sit? I'm almost done. Yani. Why do you sit? Now the sitting has a different meaning. Do you remember the hadith I recited in the beginning of Jibreel alayhi salam coming to the Prophet sallallahu in the shape of a man? And he placed, he, he sat on his knees and he, and he touched his knees to the Prophet's knees and he placed his palms on his knees. What do you call that seating? A student in front of his teacher or his master. It means now you're learning, greeting, talking. Jibreel, he asked him many questions. And when he left, he said, do you know who this man was? They said, Ya Rasulullah, only Allah and his messenger. No, he said, that was Jibreel, the angel Gabriel. He came to teach you the matters of your religion. So they were really both teachers, but acting like a student. That's the way students used to sleep before his master or his teacher. So we sit now with our palms on our knees and listen to what we say. It has two meanings. Greetings and salutations to Allah. Another meaning for it is all life and its beauty belongs to Allah and is from Allah. And all gratitude and worship is only to Allah. And all the blessings and the beauties. Yani some people they worship, but they don't do their worship right. They pray their salat, they rush it. It's not nice. We say the best of worship, the best of goodness, the best of everything belongs to Allah and is for Allah. And then you say, As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabi. Or As-salamu ala nabi. Now you send gratitude and salutations to who? The Prophet. Which Prophet? Muhammad, peace be upon him. If you notice, you don't say As-salamu ala rasul Al-Rasul means the messenger. You say the Prophet. Nabi and Rasul are two different meanings. Rasul being someone with a message and delivers it. So it's theoretical. Nabi means role model and practice. A Nabi is a role model. A Nabi acts what he is preaching and delivering. So when you say greetings and salutations to the Nabi, it means you're saying, O Prophet, you are my role model and you are the one I emulate. You are my teacher and I am your student. And you're sitting like a student. Do you understand? Even though Rasul has passed away, he is still our teacher till today and our role model. 
السلام عليك أيها النبي السلام على النبي ورحمة الله وبركاته and the mercy of God and his blessings upon you just out of love and respect for him then you say السلام علينا now you turn to you and your community salutations to upon us meaning me and my huge brotherhood and sisterhood of this Muslim Ummah Allah wants you to know that while you're praying, you are not by yourself. You have the support and the unity with all this beautiful community that you are part of. Praise to Allah and salutations to Allah, the Prophet, my teacher, and all this ummah that is connected to me praying in the same way. I'm part of it. We are like one body. I'm not alone. I'm someone. I exist. I belong. And I'm important. And I'm part of the best nation that Allah loves. The ummah of Muhammad Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. I bear witness there is no God worthy of worship but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. You're making a declaration again. Why do you lift your finger? Now, there's three ways. Some people lift their finger and then put it back down, the Hanafi way. Some people keep their finger all the way. Some people slightly move their finger. Which one is correct? All of them are valid. All of them are valid. But what does it mean? This is a symbol of a confirmation. You are saying, only that. When you, it's like when you're buying something from someone and they, or, or they want to sell you something, right? And they say, you want this product? He says, this product. And then they offer you another one. Buy a second one. Get 50% off. You go, just one. Confirmation. In the Salat, you are making confirmation. My Lord, it is only you. It is no one else. I only obey you before anyone. And no one else comes before you. Just you. And both people who move it, it means you're saying it again and again and again. Those who keep it, you are confirming it all the way. <laughs> so stubborn on that. And those who lift it are also making the statement. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, see that little movement of your finger, if you know what it means? It is worse to the shaitan than hitting him with a sledgehammer. <laughs> that's how hard it is on him. He hates it because he's trying to get you off that confirmation. And you're raising your finger and making that confirmation. He hates it so bad. Then you say, Al-Ibrahimiyyah, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad. You make dua for the Prophet and Ali Muhammad. Ali has two meanings. His family, but it also means all those who follow him, the entire ummah. And then you mention Ibrahim alayhi salam, just as you send prayers and blessings unto Ibrahim and his followers and his family. Why Muhammad salam and why Ibrahim? I'll tell you why. Ibrahim salam is the great, 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 great grandfather of Muhammad sallallahu He was the second, the first, he, he was the father of the prophets. Muhammad, Ibrahim salam brought the huge message of Islam like the other prophets, but on a more greater scale. And he is the, 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 the father of most of the prophets. Most of the prophets is their father. Most of the prophets that came after him all came from the children of Ibrahim salam, Ishaq and Ismail, or his children and so on. Ibrahim salam's message down the line got lost. Got lost among the, the people who called themselves Jews later on, the children of Israel, and it got lost among those who called themselves Christian or Catholic or whatever. It got lost. And then Muhammad salam, comes along and renews it. So you send prayers on Ibrahim salam, and the Prophet salam, say, as for Ibrahim, so for the Prophet. As for Ibrahim's family, so for the Prophet's family. As for Ibrahim and all his nation, also for Muhammad and his nation, then you would have covered all the nations of the world from the beginning of time till the end, insha'Allah. My brothers and sisters, after you finish that, you say, Assalamu alaikum. You turn your head to the right. 
and assalamu alaikum to the left. Yeah, I know. You can say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. You can say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. But inshallah, next class, we'll talk more about those voluntary acts. Today, we're just talking about the essentials. When you turn your head and you say assalamu alaikum or assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, you're sending greetings and salutations. To who? Who are you sending salams to? Okay, that's a good one. You're actually sending your salutations to a lot of people. If you're praying in the masjid or you're praying in a congregation with people beside you, you are saying salutations to your brothers or for the sisters who are praying to their brothers or to their sisters on the right. And then you turn to the left and you're saying salutations to your brothers or your sisters on the left. At the same time, you are saying salutations to the angel on the right and to the left to the angel on the left. And you are sending salutations to everyone else who deserves the salutations. By doing that, it is the mark of your salat ending. You're out of it now. See how it starts with Allah is greater and ends with peace to me, to those around me, to everyone else, and even peace to the beings that we can't even see. Is there any more peace than the message of Islam, my brothers and sisters? Assalamu alaikum. Peace without bounds. And that's how you end your salat. Because you are now at peace. And you want to share your peace with everyone else because you should be proud of yourself. It is truly the end of the salat where you are now at peace. If you die right there and then, where are you going? Straight to Jannah, inshallah. Your sins are gone. You're washed. You've just had an amazing journey, an encounter with your Lord alone. You've had a rest from all the worries and stresses of the world. That's what it's supposed to be. You've relaxed. You've calmed down. You've renewed yourself. You know why you're here again. You know where you're going. You reminded yourself. The stresses have to go down now because the world doesn't mean much anymore. It's only a means, not a goal. Wow, I'm safe. I'm at peace and peace to everyone. You see, my brothers and sisters, this is just an atom's worth, a taste of what Salat actually means. I thank you for listening. And inshallah, next week, we will continue our journey with the uh, details of your Salat. What are the pillars of Salat? What are the compulsory acts of Salat? And what are the voluntary acts of Salat? And what takes you out of salat? So we'll go on that journey, insha'Allah, next week. I thank you for listening. Are there any questions or if anyone needs to leave? I know. Well, I'm very sorry you've been sitting down for a while. I feel sorry for all your body parts. <laughs> Forgive me. It's fisa bilillah, insha'Allah. Anyone have any questions before we leave, insha'Allah? Yes. Uh, good question. So, can brothers are asking in sujood, our dua is the most uh, accepted. Can we make dua in any language? This, there is a difference of opinion among the scholars about this. It's a very, very long discussed uh, um, topic. Can you make dua in any language in your salat? Some of the scholars said, and they're the minority, 
they went to the extreme of saying never you can only use the Arabic and the Quran and the hadiths others they said not in the compulsory salat but only in the sunnah and the voluntary salat and then there is another group of scholars and they are also a large number who said that you can if you don't know any other language and you want to ask Allah then say the pillars of salat all the things they have to say in Arabic the same normal and then when it comes to making dua if you don't know the dua of the Prophet you don't know it in the proper language then say it in your language and this is the opinion I follow because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not come to make the religion difficult on us he came to make it easy and he and he brought the deen to the entire world the entire world doesn't speak Arabic and Allah knows that he, he said it in the Quran he created you of different colors and different languages so learn the compulsory parts of the Salat in the way the Prophet told us in Arabic because their meanings are, are deeper and, and you need to have the proper meanings in Salat. Once you say it in another language, you lose its meanings. When it comes to your dua, I follow the opinion of if you don't know the Arabic language, you don't know the Quranic dua, you don't know the Prophet's hadith of dua, say it in your language, inshallah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Honestly, there's no text in the Quran or Sunnah that forbids a person say it outright that you can't say your dua in, in, in another language anyway in Salat. It's more of a what we call ishtihad, a uh, educational guess, conclusion, deduction of the scholars. Any other question? Yes, Habibi. No, no, you don't do it in front of you. Once you go like this, Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah. I know, I know. There's no one in front of you. There's only Allah in front of you. No, no, the Imam has to say it too. So the brothers, the young boy is asking, you know, you say Salaamu come to the right and the left. Well, what about in front of you? There's no one in front of you. There's not meant to be anyone in front of you. The Imam, he, you don't have to say Salaam. The Imam is saying Salaamu Alaikum to you. So you know when you do that, the Imam is saying Salaamu Alaikum to everyone behind him too. And you're saying salamu alaikum to those next to you and the ones behind you too. And it keeps going. You get it? And what else? Um, yeah, so that's how it covers it. You can also think about it like this. Salamu alaikum wa rahmatullah as you move your... Some people they do that. Salamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and, and the salam just goes... So imagine smoke or, or light just goes like that to everybody. Halas, that's it. Go home. Tips for waking up for Fajr. All right. Well, first of all, believe in your head how important Fajr is. That it's a fard if you don't pray it. It's a major sin. It is a pillar of your religion. You will be questioned about it and accountable. That's the first thing. Number two, if you do a habit, if you do something... Psychologists say between 40 and 60 days, it becomes a habit and it's hard to stop it. So if you wake up for, for Fajr, all you have to do is those first few times. And then your brain, your body gets used to it. It's like a timer. And then you find yourself waking up each time. So step number two. Start the first few times and then you'll find yourself getting to a habit. After about 40, 60 days, it's going to be very hard for you to leave it. So number one, you made the decision. Number two, 
do the actions a few times, and you have to bite the bullet. You have to struggle. Number three is as soon as you're up, sorry, number three, put your alarm clock. Put your alarm clock on high. Another tip is to put your alarm clock far away from you, iPad or phone away from you far so that you have to go to it. At least going and walking towards it will wake you up a little bit. And if you close, if you, um, and you know, try to press snooze if you're going to go back, but you're going to walk back to it, inshallah. Another tip is to have somebody in your house, if you live with someone else, to help you as well. So you help them and they help you. Agree that they'll wake you up or you wake them up. Okay? The fourth, the fourth one is a little bit difficult. I don't know. You've got to do it with caution. Don't try this at home unless with absolute caution. And that is to ask someone to sprinkle water on your face. But you've got to be careful with that. So if you're going to do that, sprinkle water and run. That's another method. Um, the thing is, brothers and sisters, there is also another method. I don't know if it works with a lot of people. It works with me sometimes. And that is to, to, to mentally get myself ready to count up to five, that I have to get up before, before counting up to five. And that's the everything I do. One, two, three, and I get up. You get into that habit, right? And then you don't procrastinate. And that's with everything in your life. Number six. We live in a time of social media, our phones, and blah, blah, blah. People go to bed early, but they stay on their phones. One hour, two hours, it's 12 o'clock already. Some people, 1 a.m., it's going to be harder for you to wake up. So you've got to also plan. Try to go to sleep earlier. So as soon as you do Aisha, an ideal time will be about 10, 10.30, if you can. Or yeah, at least if you go to sleep 11, 11.30, even 12, right? My advice to you is this. If you can, stay away from the screen, your phone screen or whatever, for about two hours before you go to sleep. Okay? If you can't, at least an hour. If you can't, yeah, actually half an hour. But having it in your face, guess what's going to happen to you? That light that goes into your brain, there is a sensor inside your brain. It has a name. It's a very small, it looks like a peanut inside your, your brain. It times you. That's the clock. That's why when you travel overseas, you get jet lagged. It's that tiny peanut thing in your brain. <laughs> I'm not saying your brain's a peanut. I'm saying there's a peanut in the brain. And that peanut in the brain times you. When you put light in your eyes, the peanut in the brain gets confused. It says, what is it, daytime or nighttime? And what happens to you is that you don't go into deep sleep. You go into shallow sleep. And when you have shallow sleep, you wake up very tired. It's not about how long you've slept. It's about how deep you've slept and how good you've slept. Put your curtains down. Switch off your phones and the light about an hour or so before. Try your best. Read a book if you want. And make wudu. And go to sleep, inshallah ta'ala. And inshallah, you'll find it easier to wake up with more energy. Inshallah. If anyone has any more other tips. For me, a long time ago, I remember when I was 13, 14, I used to cut my prayers now and then sort of miss a few prayers. And I always felt the sin until one day I was 14. I remember in Lebanon, I said to myself, shut up, stop. Stop being so stupid. I said, talking like that to myself. Today you're going to start, right now. I used to say to myself, on Monday. And it's Friday, right? I said, on Monday, Monday, fresh start. Monday comes, I do it, I miss another prayer. I go, nah, stuffed up the week. I'll do it next week, fresh start. So I'll give myself a break. Then next week comes, I still break it. You know what, Ramadan's coming. Ramadan, after it, forever. 
Ramadan finishes, I kept cutting them off. So I went for that for, like, for about a year until the day I said to myself, I really told myself off and said, if you're going to start Salat, you do it right now. And I did it. And I did the next one, the third one, the fourth one, and never left it since then, alhamdulillah. But the decision, the willpower that you have is extraordinary. And once it becomes a habit, it becomes like your food and drink, guys. It's very hard to leave it. So Fajr is the same. If you, have your, you live with your parents, get your mum and dad to wake you up. SubhanAllah, they're just amazing, aren't they? Mums and dads. Wallahi, once I was in the hospital. And it's back in my early days, younger days. I was in the hospital. Wallahi al-azim, because my mother used to always wake me up. And if it wasn't her, it was my grandmother. My grandmother sometimes slept over. She used to poke me. Get up. And poke until I really felt it. I'm in the hospital. Allah, there's no one around me. I heard my mother's voice. Get up for Fajr. I woke up. There's no one around me, as if she was right next to me. Just telling you the mentality and how your body works. So once you get into that habit, you can, inshallah. All right, guys? These are just some tips, inshallah. There's no such thing as make dua for me to wake up for Fajr. Make dua for me to pray. How do I pray? You just do it. Don't you wear Nike? <laughs> Nike? Just do it. We all believe in that. Just do it. Well, just do it. That's it. Just do it. How do I do it? By doing it. <laughs> How do you drink? By drinking. How do you walk? By getting up and walking. How do you wake up for Fajr? By getting up for Fajr. But I feel tired. Don't worry. Five seconds, ten seconds later, you'll get up, princess. But the blanket, it's so warm. Malish doesn't matter. You're not going to die. Get up. You're going to feel amazing. Don't be a princess. Get up, inshallah. You can. You can. If you say, I cannot, it's true. Because you made yourself not. You say you can, you will, inshallah. You're going to wake up Fajr tonight, to this morning, inshallah. For those of you who, who don't, say yes and you will, inshallah. Before you go to sleep, make dua, say, Ya Rabb, assist me in waking up for Fajr and give me the energy. And you will, inshallah. You will. Try it. Just try that small tip. Ya Rabb, help me in getting up for Fajr and I will do my best. Go to sleep, and insha'Allah, you're already 50% of the way there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all, grant you forgiveness in myself, and have mercy upon us, and make the salat beloved to our hearts. Ameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'a. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.